We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 82. It's Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton. He's Frances Tomas from ESPN and The Guardian fame. And we again, thank you for tuning in. You can, of course, tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe to the show. You can also find us on social media, on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod or at HiltonD13. Or more importantly, please join our closed Facebook group. Just type in the Barcelona Podcast answer a few questions after Frances sends you the request. You'll be hooked in with a Barcelona community that is currently flourishing and the conversation that's having, and there are things there that you absolutely don't want to miss. Well, this is a show that you absolutely don't want to miss because, Frances, we basically hit record the minute Andres Iniesta stopped speaking today in Catalonia with his big announcement. So this La Gran Pregunta today in this show, Frances, is really out of our hands. It really is, and at least we've got a definitive answer. You know, we know where we stand. Obviously, Andres Iniesta has announced that he's leaving. Um, contrary to what many people believe, he hasn't actually said that he's going to China, which is interesting, but, you know, the most important point for us is that he is leaving. It is official. Andres Iniesta will not be a Barcelona player next season after 22 years with us. Um, I just about managed to wipe my tears away. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's important for us to record the podcast when feelings are flourishing so that's where we want to be so prompt with this one after we've talked about Iniesta then we've got an interview with the fantastic Jason Davis from ESPN FC and Sirius FM he is great you don't want to miss that either but we're going to start with Iniesta the Barcelona podcast 82 starts right here and it starts with the grand pregunta of Iniesta is leaving now what and when you sent me that question my mind went in two directions. Obviously, the answer is, and you know, plenty of people will definitively think they're right in saying that you can't replace Andres Iniesta. There, there's, and I like the fact that you asked now what because it's it's what happens now for the club because, you know, the question instead that people are asking is how are we going to replace Iniesta? As I said, the answer is impossible. Six hundred and seventy games for Barcelona at counting. 35 titles that Barcelona hold on to win the league as the Copa del Rey final was the 34th title for Iniesta. 22 years at FC Barcelona, 16 as a professional football player. And, you know, he's a guy that after this season, even starting 24 of 33 league games and 8 of 10 Champions League matches, and even after the display against Sevilla, where he was probably the best player on the field, 
he's showing you that he's leaving with a lot left to give. And I think that's what makes this Band-Aid so hurt, so painful because Iniesta really did just rip it off quickly and say, you know, this is the time for me to go. I'm not going to sit around on the bench. I'm, I'm not just going to waste your time and you're not going to see me deteriorate. I'm going to, this is it. I, I'm going out, oh, not at the top of his game because obviously he's much slower this season than he has been in years past, but he certainly had a, a ton of talent still and well, he always will have talent, but he certainly had a ton of energy and a ton of goodwill still left for the club. And so, it's just so interesting that he's leaving at this time because unlike Neymar over the summer, who is a player at the top of his game who just up and left the club, Iniesta is giving some warning, but in the same respect, the transfer window starts in uh, about a month's time and Barcelona are going to have to look deep within themselves or they're going to have to look outside the club to figure out some kind of way to get the at least the production mathematically that he gave you. Absolutely. I think the key word of um, Iniesta's words today it was honesty. Everything that he was talking about and the way he was feeling the words that he was saying, obviously it was theory, of course, um, it was honesty. He was honest with himself. He knew that his best was gone. He knew that from now onwards, he was going to do pretty much what Xavi experienced in his last season, sort of coming off the bench, um, giving 30, 40 minutes, if that. And he def- certainly didn't want to do what Puyol did in the end, which is he was struggling with injuries. He wanted to be remembered as someone who could start games. You know, you could argue he's got at least two more years to give at, at the highest level. And, you know, I don't think anyone listening to this podcast would disagree to say that Iniesta would be an automatic starter next season had he stayed. However, he has been substituted a lot of times this year. I think it's 21 times in La Liga that he's been substituted. And that's not something he wants to do. And I fully understand that. Um, I was there when he started playing, um, when he joined us from Albacete. He was 12 years old. And at the time, you had a guy who had plenty of potential. He wanted to basically set the world on fire, but in a humble, honest, calm way. Um, I I was lucky enough to meet his family as well. Um, Antonio, his dad, was delightful. Um, My brother was playing for Barca at the time. And I, I was lucky enough to get to experience pretty much the whole season of his first season at Barca with Iniesta's family. Um, I'm obviously not going to claim we were incredibly close, but we did watch pretty much every game together. And because they used to drive down from Albacete 700 kilometers every weekend, um, a lot of times it was Antonio by himself. But the vast majority of times it was uh, mom and dad making making the whole journey. Um, obviously, I wasn't there when the weekend finished because, you know, I, I, me being from Barcelona myself, I just went to watch my brother and we basically came back home. But the end of the weekend, and I know, obviously, because my brother was there in the dressing room, um, it was incredibly hard for him, for him and the family because they were leaving their 12-year-old 700 kilometers away from them. And, you know, from that moment on, I knew that there was something special with this kid. And at, the, at La Masia... And at the Barca Youth System, there are a lot of players who are great. But what Iniesta had was that honesty, that calmness, that heart paired up with obviously a fantastic skill on the football pitch. And that's what made him so successful over the years. That's why people around the world love him so much. That's why millions of culés listening to this podcast and beyond know and are certain that what Iniesta has done for Barca, no one else has done. And I'm saying no one else has done because no one else has done it the way he's done it. Everyone's different, everyone's special in their own manner, and 
Iniesta, in a way, he did it his way. He wanted to excel from the first moment. He wanted to make everyone else a protagonist. He was not the typical all about me player who, you know, unfortunately we seem to be getting out of our youth system now and again these days. Um, it was not the days of Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. This was a kid far away from his family that the only connection he had with the world was his phone line and his phone line was always going back to his family. So fast forward 22 years, we got someone who's been a role model, someone who is, I want to say he's my idol, even though that I'm older than him, but you know, listen, people listen to the podcast as well, are of a similar age to me and even older as well, I know. So yeah, I, I'm not ashamed at all to say that my idol is someone who's younger than me that has led a, a life that to me is exemplary and Today it's a very sad day, but we need to move forward. Uh, but I would basically always remen- remember his legacy, his honesty, his willingness, his love for the club, even today when he left us. Yeah, I've always felt that he categorized uh, what made me proud of the Barcelona players. And, and I don't mean just on the field. I, I mean in the way he acted and in, in his mannerisms, where I think Xavi has shown after the mic has been put in his face in the last few months and years, that he, there is some kind of edge, there is some kind of confidence to Xavi. And Puyol, of course, was, was that great leader that he was. But there was something very calm, as you said, about Iniesta. There was some kind of that homesickness, that, that story that we know so well about his early homesickness. And he overcomes that because his talent is just too great to lose and just be lost in, in, in another kid who's too afraid to be able to fulfill the potential. And so he stays with Barcelona and becomes what he did. And there was a scene against Sevilla that I think is always going to stick out to me. And it's after he receives his yellow card, he goes back up to the referee and apologizes afterwards. And they catch it on camera even. And it just says so much about his character that, yes, he was a guy that just like the rest of Barcelona would get fired up. And when you play at the top, you have to have that competitive edge. You have to not only believe that you're better than everyone else, but you have to also show it. And if you think officials have done you wrong, you see there are differences between players and officials and people disagree. And Iniesta, of course, was one of those guys who disagreed sometimes. But how many times over the years did he get a yellow for dissent? Not very many times. He was always a guy who was going to be able to speak to the referees. That's why he wore the captain's armband when he did. And he's a guy that, as I said, I think his personality amplified what I wanted to see in the footballer and the footballers that I wanted to idolize. And that's who Iniesta was. And even his comment today, I'll read some of these when he was talking about the club. Clearly, it was things that he's been weighing on his heart and he's been thinking about. He said, being honest with myself and with the club, which has given me everything, I understand that my time at the club has to finish this year. It's a very difficult day for me. I've spent my whole life here and saying goodbye to the place, which has been my home for so long is very difficult, but I understand how life works and that it gets harder every day. I wouldn't be able to forgive myself if I created an uncomfortable situation for a club, which has given me everything. I don't deserve that, and neither do the club. So here we are at the end of April, and Iniesta is starting to walk away. And unfortunately, Frances, for our time, you know, we can wax poetic about the legacy of Iniesta and how wonderful he was, but we're going to continue doing that later on in many, many shows, because with Iniesta leaving, we're losing one of the all-time I think you'd agree with me, three, four best players that Barcelona has ever seen, and maybe one of the top five, six midfielders ever, and probably the best Spanish midfielder ever, if not for Xavi Hernandez. So no, absolutely, I do agree with you. Uh, For me, it's a yes, yes, yes for the three things that you just mentioned. Um, I think Iniesta achieved something that no one else really has in the history of football, and I want to say Catalan-Spanish football as well. 
um, Iniesta has managed to get everyone to agree on the fact that he is great. You know, he gets a standing ovation from pretty much every stadium he visits. He's had standing ovations from the Bernabeu, from Cornellà, from a vast majority of places, Sevilla, Betis, everyone adores him. And given the political situation in, in Spain and Catalonia right now with the Catalan movement and etc., he still gets it. And, and he people don't see the Barca colors when they look at him. Obviously, we do as Barca fans, and that's the first thing that comes to our mind. But if you support, say, Oviedo, for example, you look at Iniesta as a Spanish football idol, someone who has brought success beyond belief, um, obviously scoring the decisive goal in the overtime against Holland in the most important game in Spanish football history, bringing the World Cup home is never going to go away. And that definitely helps him being held in that high regard. But I think that basically he's irreplaceable. We There's not a show that we record and, you know, we do a lot of prep before the show, which hopefully you guys listen to and appreciate when you're, when you're doing so. And when you're doing the prep, there's a lot of times I find myself drifting towards but what if Xavi was here? And what if Puyol was here? And what if Iniesta, from now on, we're going to have to say, what if he was here? And these players are unique. They are, as I said, irreplaceable, but they're also irrepeatable. They're never going to come back and there's not, never going to be anyone like them. So now we need to work out what's going to happen next, knowing and making it as a baseline that these players like for like are never going to be replaced. So what are we going to do to move forward? And that's why the question today is what next? About the fact that Iniesta is, you're right. Uh, he is so much for the Catalan people and he means so much to them, but he also is inherently Spanish. He's one that it's not from Catalonia. And so his teammate on the national team, Sergio Ramos, did kind of sum it up. And I know it's silly that one of the things that sticks out to me, one of the quotes about Iniesta this week is coming from a Real Madrid player, but he said if he was called... Andresinho, he would have won some Ballon d'Ors. And that sums it up for me, that because of his character, because of the way that he humbly went about his business, that he, I think, even though he's still finished so high in some of those Ballon d'Or votings, he still was never seen as the top guy because of the likes of Messi and Ronaldo, and he wasn't banging in goals. And I think even though he scored that game-winning goal to win Spain the World Cup, he might not be remembered as the very best, but he might just be remembered in a generation when you had, um, I say his generation of Paul Scholes and of of Pirlo, of Xavi, and of Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard, and of these wonderful, wonderful midfielders who all did different things and all had different games. And I think he's going to be one of that midfield pantheon in this era, more so than really trying to consider if he was the very best of them all. Right, just a, a little bit of a point in there. Um, I understand that it would have been good for him to get recognition, but I really, honestly, absolutely don't care about that at all. You know, I've said it many times. I know this is not the fashionable thing to do because in the media world that we live in now, it's all about, you know, winning the Champions League, winning seven games one after the other, winning the World Cup. It's this immediateness of it. Um, the Ballon d'Or, well, to be honest, it's a popularity contest. You know, it's it's who scores the most goals, who looks the best. And, and it, it really makes no sense to me that Iniesta first obviously didn't win it. But then again, I'm not that bothered. That's not going to change one bit of how I feel about Iniesta, how the world should feel about Iniesta. What he's added on the pitch 
is second to none in world football and whether or not that's what the Ballon d'Or is looking for really doesn't matter to me at all um, it's their loss to be honest but who really cares he is someone who's made history and tw the 22 years he's given us are as the 35 collective titles he's got under his belt when he leaves definitely the best in our history and we just have to be grateful regardless of whether France football or whoever decides Ballon d'Or thinks about him yeah, sure. And now we're trying to figure out, moving forward for Barcelona, what happens for the club as far as trying to figure out a way to make sure that his production is replaced, but not even next season, but now moving forward. And the two answers there, of course, would be to, you know, hope and pray that someone who can do some of the things that he did is sitting and waiting in the academy or in the other way is that are, are, is there a player that we need to go after and how do you replace Iniesta a player that I guess we knew this was coming but this season being the final season was a little bit of a shock you thought you had at least another year or even two of Iniesta but now there's going to be a hole in that midfield because you look at the players on the roster and Busquets does certain things obviously he's a different player as he has been with that triangle and Xavi and Iniesta and then you have Rakitic, who does different things. You have Roberto, who does different things. And obviously, the rest of the team, whether it's Gomez or... And I, I've seen this argument about Denis Suarez. Now, Denis Suarez is obviously not at Iniesta's level, nor will he ever be. He's a, a role player if he stays with the team. So you have Gomez, who probably won't be at the club throughout the summer either. Denis Suarez. And, and then you have younger guys like Elena, who, as Rick said on our show on Monday, and we do recommend you go and listen to the interview with Rick Sharma from earlier in the week, said that Elena just... He isn't seen as this replacement for Elena. He's got a little bit of a different game. And as Rick said, who's seen him, he has a long way to go as well. And now we have Arthur coming in either, either in the summertime or wintertime. There's some controversy about that, but we don't have time to get into that this week. But Arthur could be coming in the club, and yet he's also said to have a different profile. So we don't really have any player both either ready for the first team or coming in that we know of already who has that same profile as Iniesta and so that might be something that Barcelona is missing and the guy I even forgot to mention Paulinho certainly doesn't have that profile no absolutely not I think the throwing around names obviously like Arthur he would obviously contribute and, and be an addition that that would help but you know the whole point is that the answer should not be signing people that is not what Barca is about. If you go back to, even before Johan Cruyff joined, you had Luis Milla that was, in a way, carrying the baton of how Barca should play. Then Guillermo Amor came. And Amor, in a way, nurtured Guardiola to take that. Then Xavi came. Then Iniesta came. But there's no one there. This is the sixth generation of players that should be now ready to jump and, and take the baton. And that is not happening. And I think... That is the most worrying part. The idea, the idea has not been defended. The idea has not been carried through. The idea of La Masia, of the Johan Croy philosophy of attacking football, of total football, is not there now. And until the people calling the shots of the club think in a, I would say in this way, but then again, you know, the sources have voted differently, but in a particular way that matches the caliber of the club and the history of the club, then, then the, the answer is... Is not there. Um, there is a replacement within the squad, as Sergio Roberto, but obviously he's a completely different player. Um, I think he's the closest replacement we've got. And, and the thing is, forward planning has not happened for so many years. 
that we don't really have an answer to the question who can take the button forward and that is incredibly to me disappointing i think no one right now is remotely ready and there unfortunately there's going to be a little bit of time for us to get adapted and for for people new players new youngsters to learn from each other but as of now no one can fill the void and that i know is not very encouraging <laughs> i know i'm not saying something that's going to make people incredibly happy or, or, or cheerful about the situation but right now there is no one and there needs to be a revision there needs to be a restructuring there needs to be a rethought of who we are as a club in terms of La Masia, in terms of progression, so that basically we can move into the future being respectful to our past, and that is not happening now. Yeah, and I was I was going to actually even call that out, and that, you know, with the Barcelona youth team winning the youth league and being the UEFA youth league, the U19s, if you will, and then Gerard Lopez for Barca B was sacked this week, and we're seeing a changing of the guard, and it seems like, the board is trying to double down a little bit, but as you said, the answer is it's too late. And as as dark and, and, and negative as it may be, that if if we want a kind of midfielder academy trained in the ilk of Iniesta, we know that we're at least five years away. And that makes Messi 35, 36 years old when potentially one of those players might be ready to, to take on the reins in their early 20s of the first team in the midfield. So it is a negative thing to think that you know there won't be this Iniesta cushion. There won't be this midfielder who's all about ball retention in the way that Iniesta was and being able to spray the passes that he did and have the mind that he did. You're not going to have a player in that mold while Messi sees out the twilight of his career. And that's a really, really disheartening thing. And I think, if anything, that's what kind of made me somber today more than anything else because recognizing that Iniesta's gone... Is, is an understandable thing because Father Time, is, it's a cliche, is undefeated. Father Time waits for no player, and eventually all players have to see their playing careers come to an end. And that's the time for Iniesta, and I think there's some hope in that, knowing that a player like that was with the club for so long and did all the things that he did. But in the same respect, you're, we talk about it. You know, Now what for the club? Well, they have a gaping hole in terms of the kind of player that he was, not just his ceiling, but just the things that he did in terms of ball retention and, and the abilities that he had on the field and the vision that he brought to the game in ways that just the rest of our midfielders don't fit that profile until you go potentially down a few years into the academy. And so all that said, I think we end this discussion, Francesa, as we kind of ran out of time here, saying that the club now just moves on. It takes one step like all of us do. We have to say goodbye, honor his legacy for a long time coming and now take one step forward with the players that we have and see where we go from here but I think for the show where we go from here is an interview with Jason Davis that you did yesterday Frances and let's hear that now right so I am delighted I know I say that every time but this time I really truly absolutely mean it to be joined by Jason Davis Um, he obviously is a writer and a talker as per his Twitter bio and he's been working for ESPN FC, obviously, like I used to be um, a couple of years ago. And he's regularly invited by Sirius XMFC. Welcome to the pod, and it's great to have you. Now, I do know that you've been passionate about football for a lot of years. Um, as I said, off air, uh, Dan Hilton, who is gutted not to be talking to you now, our co-host, 
um, has been following your work for many years, so obviously so have I. I did think the Best Soccer podcast that I just listened to was a bit outdated, but then again, I don't really know that much about US football. So sure. where does your passion actually come from? I, you know, I think I have, um, I, I think I, I would call it a fairly typical American story. I, I played as a, as a kid, you know, I think we, in the 80s in America, the, the game really blew up in terms of, of youth football and uh, moms and dads signing up their little ones to go run around fields um, on Saturdays and Sundays. And I, and I loved playing, uh, but it was still early in, in our, our, our football growth. And we didn't have a, a top level league here for, for kids to sort of watch and, and dream about. Um, we didn't have much international football uh, on television. Uh, I don't think I, I think about this sometimes when I was when I was young and I was playing the game. Um, I don't think I was aware of almost anybody. I think we, we knew who Pele was, and that was essentially it. Uh, it was just uh, it was the dark ages for us here. And I drifted away from the game as I got a little bit older. I moved to a place that didn't take the sport very seriously. At that level, I found a coach who I, I just didn't respect, and, and I quit. I, I, I gave up uh, soccer at a, at a young age. And then through my teenage years, aware of it, it, it started to become more popular. We got some Premier League on television uh, eventually La Liga and, and some other some other versions of the game showed up. Certainly, the FIFA video game was a big deal, and I remember playing that a lot. Mm-hmm, me too. Uh, in, in my early twenties, and then you know, I, I don't know. I was uh, right around the 2002 World Cup, which is obviously a high water mark for the U.S. men's national team. And MLS was a couple years old. I, I hadn't paid much attention to that to MLS to that point, but I was very much a a USA fan. I I, I just sort of. Something clicked. I, I don't know what it is. You know, I, I'm one of those people where I retain information fairly well. So I was, again, I had a, a sort of base knowledge. You know, I knew the club names. I had I had heard of a lot of players. I just hadn't immersed myself in it. And right around the mid-2000s, after that 2002 World Cup, I, I just sort of, it, it became everything to me. I, I started watching Premier League on television, and the atmospheres were so amazing that I just couldn't, I couldn't pull myself away. And then I became very much fascinated and passionate about where the sport was in this country, where MLS was, how we would grow the game, how we could get better on the international stage, how MLS could grow. And then David Beckham showed up. And, you know, since then, I've just been pretty much my entire life outside of my personal relationships has been about thinking about the game and, and, and watching the game and talking about the game. Okay, that's obviously really impressive in terms of the early 2000s but um how has it changed in the late years because obviously you now have the zlatan effect uh which we we had the pleasure of enjoying at barca although just for one season and you know his personality sort of took over his game but Mm. in the last say four or five years things have changed so how would you rate that i think you got peak drama uh zlatan while he was at barca of course Uh, yeah, which is part of the reason I love that guy. Um, you know, I, I, happen, I happen to share a birthday with Zlatan. I'm a little bit older, but I do happen to share a birthday with Zlatan, which I, I, think, I always I think he would disagree with you. He would disagree with you. You share the birthday with Zlatan. It's uh, the this other is way true. <laughs> yes, that's right. I, I do share. Yes, exactly. He, he allows me to share his birthday, <laughs> exactly. I think is probably how that works. I, I love the personality, and that's something that we don't. We don't have a lot of in the American game. We we have a few a, a few personalities. Now part of this is that balance between how good a player is and their personality. You can't get away with being a prima donna. You can't get away with being a gigantic ego unless you have the talent to back it up. And Ibra has the talent to back it up. Obviously, somebody like Ronaldo has the talent to back it up. And, and American soccer has not really had those characters because our players have always been of a lower 
caliber. And that's, you know, that's part of our growth. And we would love to have a Ronaldo, a Messi, a, a Zlatan, but it just hasn't happened yet. So when we do get those those European players or sometimes a South American player who has the the ego and then also the talent to back it up, I think it makes the game more interesting. There are sports here that we that, that we are most passionate about uh, in the, in terms of mainstream basketball, American football, baseball, they have those personalities. Those guys are are a major part of why people care so much uh, about those sports, and it, it's it's part of the, the the modern landscape that we have. So Zlatan's bringing that. You know, he, he appears on national television when we just don't get footballers on national television, and I hope that we can get Americans into those positions one day. But for the time being, I'm happy to sort of have MLS. Uh, enjoy the Zlatan effect, even if it's just for a year or two. So it and and the the ability to get him here at 36, I would love to have had him here a couple of years ago. But he's still he's still such an immense talent. He's still in, incredible on the field. And yes, the competition is not as high. the The level is not as good as it it was in the Premier League or in La Liga or even in France. But that actually does mean that we can witness sort of the last vestiges of of Zlatan's amazing athleticism without worrying about him sort of becoming a shell of his former self. Absolutely. I think his personality, in a way, sometimes, particularly in the later years, sort of outshines his actual quality on the team. I mean, he, he yeah. has performed well throughout his career, but obviously he declined in the end. But I think that in the MLS right now, he can make a difference. And I'm, I'm actually very happy for him that he can do that sort of at the twilight of his career. Yeah. It's obviously time to change gears because it's a Barca podcast after all. So yes. um, how do you see Barca from the distance? There's been a lot of criticism of Valverde, despite the fact that he's quite likely, I mean, we're only one point away from sealing a domestic double in La Liga and La Copa. And mm-hmm. But we had that hiccups in terms of the fiasco. There's no other way to call it in Roma in the Champions League. So how do you see it? You know, it, 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 Barcelona is always fascinating to me um, because and, and it's it's this it's the dynamic of expectations and it's obviously about the size of your club and the history of your club. And for Barcelona, uh, there's never a year in which a, a, a league title and a, and a champions league title and maybe the Copa are, are not the goal. I mean, you're always playing for those things. It's never as though you come into the year thinking, well, if we make the top 10, we're, we're happy, right? Or, or we get into the Europa league, the way that say Everton in England has to think about their season and I, I never, I've never been in that mindset. I've never been a fan of a team that has that level of expectation every year. And I imagine that it, it colors every, everything you see. And even though, even though there are 99% of the clubs in the world would be ecstatic to take Barca's results this year, I imagine it's got to be disappointing the way things happened against Roma. I, I, you know, I, I, I my, my viewpoint mostly is. Let's just get as much joy from Messi as we can. Let's get as much joy out of Iniesta as we can. I know that's coming to an end. They are so iconic. In uh, Barcelona as a club is so iconic, but even the, the the teams of the last decade are so iconic. And I think it's fascinating to see how they have impacted Americans' views on the game because Barcelona is the ideal. And even though this is not Pep's team anymore, and they don't play that style and it's it's a slightly different way of going about winning uh, trophies if you asked the sort of newly initiated in the last decade and a half so american soccer fan who they would want their team to play like they would say barcelona every single time and i think that's 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 very fascinating if if 
this season ends with just those, I mean, it already it, it looks like the league is sewn up and 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 the Copa, as you mentioned. I don't know. You tell me, like, is that something that requires a change or can Barcelona look for a little bit more stability and move into next year thinking, OK, you know, Messi's getting a little bit older. We're going to have to to make some changes and 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 address some of our weak points. But we're still OK. Well, for me, it's an all brainer. It's a very good season. Um, every time that you enter a Liga season, it's always won by the best team, the most regular, the one that's the most competent and sort of confident and can, in a way, go away from injuries and deal with injuries and overcome injuries in the best possible way. And winning La Liga, for me, is the most important title of the season. However, given the, the great quality and the huge investment that teams in the Champions League have made, it is important to win that as well. I mean, for me, La Liga comes first, then the Champions League. But for us, I mean, I was born in Barcelona and it really hurts even more. Real mm-hmm. Madrid are still in it. And yeah. I think the success of Barca's season will, and it shouldn't, but it will be measured by the, the way in which Real Madrid succeed in the Champions well, League. Well, so I'm fascinated by this because obviously Madrid's uh, league season is not up to their standards no. and they're going to come in... 15 points behind Barca, and and that's that's obviously not what they want. But they have a chance here to maybe go back to the final and and win another Champions League. And their run in the Champions League is so immense. I, it's it, you you prioritize La Liga, but you can't be happy that your rival is is setting new standards in the Champions League. I don't know. It's very fascinating the dynamic there. It really is. It really is. And to be honest, I I live in London now, so I sometimes look at it and try and think about it from from an outsider's perspective. And I think, actually, you don't really make any sense. You, you've obviously won the 38 games of the season-long campaign, and that is the one that should actually matter. But no, there's so many political differences. There's a lot of history. And obviously, right now, with the Catalan movement towards independence and the way that the Spanish government is dealing with that, it's even more current. So no, no. Mm. The Barca and Madrid are a little bit like yin and yang. They're always related to each other. And in a way, they feed each other. They they, they feed off each other, and, and they couldn't live without them. Like... Obviously, a Clásico is a huge event. So how do you guys leave that in the U.S.? How do we view a, a Clásico? Is that what you asked? Yeah, what, how do you live it? Because I know that oh, obviously it. La Liga, you sort of watch every week. But when a Clásico yeah. comes, everything sort of blasts out of proportions. So how do you guys deal with that? Well, I think it, it, it's like, what, what, and I, you know, I'm admittedly inside a football bubble. It's my life. So I'm more attuned to the rhythms of world football than I, than I think the average American is. But if you get somebody who sort of includes soccer as part of their sports experience, because we obviously have so many options here, what you'll find is that, that the classical becomes another big day on the calendar. So, you know, I think you grow up in the United States and you consume sports and you're, you have the Super Bowl is obviously the biggest thing that we have in this country, uh, you know, in, in baseball, we have the World Series and basketball, the, the NBA finals. And then there are things like the Kentucky Derby, a horse race. And people don't otherwise care about horse racing any other day of the year. <laughs> but on that particular day in May, everybody turns on their TV to watch this race for two minutes. It's a two minute race. It, that's it. And they, they throw parties and all the, and they do that because of history, right? Because of tradition, because we've been doing it for 65 or 70 or 80 years or whatever it is, and it just becomes part of the rhythms. And I, I think it's fascinating that world football is becoming part of our rhythms. And again, maybe it's just me, and maybe it's just soccer, like hardcore soccer fans who otherwise watch the Premier League every weekend or otherwise watch the Bundesliga or otherwise watch MLS. But you'll find, especially if you watch Twitter during something like the Clasico, 
everybody watches it and everybody has an opinion and everybody's talking about a big moment or or you know what Ronaldo does in opposition to Messi and obviously that's just one narrative that comes out of the Clasico and it's the politics too and we're all sort of fascinated by those things because we don't we don't obviously don't have an innate understanding of that but we are ve- you know we're aware from afar of what's happening with the Catalan move uh, independence movement and and how Madrid represents a certain political idea in in Spain and and how Barcelona is in opposition to that or or somehow it's it's and we are our, our sporting history here is much less tied to those ideas and i think that you know it that that thing that's a thing that kind of draws us in too it's not it's not just the the rivalry because we have a lot of those and and although you know some of the best players in the world are playing for Barcelona and Real Madrid we would watch anyway it's also this idea that those two clubs embody something about Spain that is extra to sports. Okay, well, last question. Last question. Um, it wouldn't be a Barca podcast if, without speaking about Messi. Messi has a huge tournament in the summer, and arguably that's his last chance of bringing the World Cup to Argentina. A lot of our Cule fans um, basically are losing sleep over this. Will Messi leave the World Cup? <laughs> Does it matter towards the big debate as to who is the greatest ever, or is he already? Well, look, I, I, I'm not going to presume to speak for Argentinians, and I'm not going to presume to speak for Barcelona fans who you know, probably are going to love Messi no matter what happens with Argentina, unless you are an Argentina-Barcelona fan, and then you're probably conflicted. <laughs> I, I, but I do, think, I do think it's ridiculous to put that sort of burden on a single player in a team sport when we're talking about something like the greatest of all time. Now, I also think it's difficult to compare players across generations or eras. I mean, even Maradona, who was playing 25 years ago, is it's difficult to compare him to to Messi. And, you know, his club career was sort of not secondary. I mean, he was obviously an immense club player, but it was secondary to his to his national team career in the sense that Argentina won titles with him. And that's not just because Maradona was amazing, although he was. It's because Argentina's team was very good or the best in the world. And I don't think Argentina has that team right now. I mean, I think they're behind Brazil, they're behind Germany, they're probably behind Spain, they're they're probably behind the French in terms of pure talent. So in order for them to win this, they're going to have to climb over five or six other teams. And for me, none of that, like if they fail at it, I'm going to say, well, Argentina wasn't good enough. Not Lionel Messi wasn't good enough. And yeah, it, 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 you, you're going to judge him on his performance. But at the end of this tournament, is it fair to look at Lionel Messi and say, well, he's not the best Argentine player of all time because he couldn't will a lesser team than five others to a World Cup title. I think that's a very odd thing to do as somebody who loves the game and 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 can only be in awe of what Lionel Messi has done over his career. Absolutely. I mean, you're preaching to the converted with me. Um, I fully agree with you. I mean, arguably, football, as you say, is a team sport, but arguably... If Iguain knew what the goal was, Messi would have lifted. <laughs> you know, exactly. He would have exactly. lifted at least two collective trophies for Argentina. But hey, that's um, that's what modern football and modern fans want to focus on. So we had to talk about that. Um, Jason, that's all the time we've got today, and I'm eternally grateful for for you giving up your time for us. Where can our listeners enjoy your work? Because literally, what you've done today would have had a lot of our listeners wanting to hear more. Sure, we uh, I'm I do a daily uh, radio show mostly focused on American topics, but we'll range out. We'll certainly talk a lot about the World Cup this summer on uh, Channel 157 on Sirius XM. So you have to buy a subscription, but it's well worth it. Trust me. We have a a, a soccer channel, a football channel. All that's that's all that all day long, and then there's all kinds of other options in terms of 
of the satellite radio service. Um, I'm on Twitter at DavisJSN. I'm ramping up a new project. I don't have uh, I don't have a lot to show you yet, but trust me, something very cool is coming. It's called Compass Football. In fact, I may be talking to you directly about some of those ideas in the in the future because this is going to be global in scope. I'm not just focusing on the United States. So Compass Football coming probably in the next month or so. Certainly by the World Cup, you'll start seeing some video content and some podcasts uh, that I'm excited for. And that's that's basically it. Well, that's really exciting. I mean, I am intrigued, to be honest, because I know that's on your Twitter feed and I've seen a couple of photos of people sort of <laughs> looking into a microphone. I was like, I am confused, but I'm intrigued, but I want to hear it. So, okay. uh, Jason, an absolute pleasure. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you for so much for the invite. I do appreciate it. Wonderful, wonderful stuff from Jason Davis. Thanks to him for coming on the show. And as you joked with him, Francis, at the beginning, yeah, I wish I had done the interview with Jason. Of course, he's a, a voice here in the American soccer scene. And I do say soccer when you say American soccer scene, but we'll have to get him back on the show sometime in the future to keep talking, potentially throughout the summer with the World Cup and break some of those things down. But anyway, that wraps another edition of the Barcelona podcast as we broke down some of this Iniesta news. And we'll continue to talk about that in the future. That's a guarantee. So thanks for listening. And until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.